If you will, take your Bibles and open them to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, uh, that fifth book to be found in your Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to read beginning in verse 15 and read uh, through the end of the chapter there to verse 22. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 18, we'll begin reading in verse 15 in just a moment. Uh, as we're beginning, just a word, uh, in Sunday school this morning, we, we talked for just a moment about uh, how God in His providence uh, brings uh, uh, various types of aggravations and afflictions our way. And for the believer, there's nothing that's ever wasted, that God is purposeful as He places these things uh, in our lives. And so, uh, as I uh, was a bit afflicted uh, last week and chose not to share with you uh, that terrible affliction, uh, I sat there at my house and I was able to watch uh, by, by live stream uh, our worship service. And oh, how I longed to be with you. And, and sometimes as, as a pastor, you get a bit jaded because there is a, a grind. It, it, believe it or not, it is, it is work. It's, it's a pleasure and it's a joy, but it's work. And, but I, it really hit me hard what a privilege, what a privilege God has provided to me to stand before you week in and week out. And as I sat there and, and, and listened to Josh, and Josh did such a, a masterful job, and one of the interesting things that, that happens, and this is... Uh, true as you study the scriptures. He, he made passing reference to the outline that I had placed uh, in, in planning to preach, but that wasn't his outline. And as God guided him through the text and gave him insight as what he needed to share uh, with you, uh, he preached a, a, an entirely different sermon. And, and if I were to sit down next week with the same text, I would probably outline it differently than I did two weeks ago. That's just the way God works uh, in and among His people uh, with His Word. And so I was very thankful because uh, not only did I get to do the prep work and dive deeply into Psalm 23, but I got to hear a different sermon in a different perspective. And so it was a blessing uh, to me. And uh, uh, we rejoice and we're so thankful uh, to have uh, Josh on our staff uh, serving and working and being willing uh, to step forward uh, on, on very, very uh, short notice. And so let's transition or really continue as we move well into what is our holiday season. And it, it has helped me over the years uh, to think of it as more of a season, uh, primarily because I, I enjoy the holiday season and it comes and goes far too quickly for me. Uh, as I enjoy uh, uh, the family, uh, I enjoy even the giving and receiving of gifts and all of those things that we do at Christmas. So it's helpful to me to kick it off with Thanksgiving and keep it going until after New Year's. And so we're now in that season. And I hope that you can think with me as we begin to focus on the realities related to to Christmas, I, th this series is Our Perfect Prophet, Priest, and King. And I want to begin this morning really with a question that the noted and 
still influential uh, apologist, theologian, philosopher Francis Schaeffer used to uh, entitle a monumental work in 1976. He asked the question, how shall we live then? Now what Schaeffer saw in Western Europe was really the decline of Western civilization. And it was declining because prior to its decline, the church was beginning to decline. It was compromising and no longer being salt and light in the culture. And 50 years later, we are being stressed and distressed by the decline of what we hold as dear and familiar. And so as we think about orienting ourselves toward participation and indeed celebration of Christmas, then I want to paraphrase that question in this way. How shall we celebrate then? In view of what we think may be the collapse of that which we love, how can I wholly and fully embrace a celebration of Christmas? It's a good question. And the, the simple answer is this, that Christmas, its meaning and its purpose and the reality that we celebrate has nothing to do, it is not tied to any of the temporal, external things that are going on around us. That as we go through this season, as we exit the season and enter the, the norm of life, then my exhortation, my suggestion to you is this, that we may, indeed, we must celebrate the reality upon which Christmas is built, namely the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our, our passion. He is worthy as the one who will so transform us that we shall live with hope, that we shall live with purpose, that we shall live with a heart overflowing with the joy of the Lord, even in a time that we think of as difficult. And so we'll look this morning as we begin uh, this series at the great reality that Jesus Christ is the one promised as the ultimate and even final perfect prophet of God. Read with me, if you will. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb to, on the day of assembly when you said, Let me not hear the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever 
will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord? Well, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. And you need not be afraid of him. Pray with me. Father, again, thank you for this great privilege. We are gathered as your people. We're gathered in your name. We're gathered at the place that you have designated that we should assemble to say to you in one voice that we love you, that we belong to you. You belong to us. And again, we are the, indeed the sheep of your pastor. And for that, we give thanks. Would you, through the work of your word and spirit, change us today? Lord, as we look out on this world and uh, maybe uh, we are distressed, may we look to you and find our ultimate source of hope and comfort. Lord, we lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at this text, and I suspect that it is uh, a bit un unfamiliar to you uh, as it appears somewhat in the middle of this book of Deuteronomy, a, a book in which uh, is recorded uh, Moses' final word of instruction to the generation that God had raised up to succeed uh, the wicked, uh, the rebellious, the disobedient, uh, the unbelieving generation that he had delivered out of Egypt. And Moses was taking this opportunity there on the plains of Moab as that generation was being prepared to take uh, possession of the land that God long ago had promised to their forefather Abraham. And he was saying to them, you need to be instructed, you need to be reminded, these are the stipulations, this is the covenant uh, that your forefathers agreed to, that you're under obligation uh, to uphold. I am about to pass from the scene, which was a distressing idea to them because he had been the one God had raised up that had led them from the, the, the stranglehold, the grip of the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And God had delivered them to this moment. They could not imagine a day without being under the care of this greater, uh, great leader, Moses. And so Moses tells them that there will be another, that God will raise up one. And we know over the course of history that God raised up many prophets who were faithful to God. Many persecuted, many died because of their faithfulness as they spoke the truth of the Word of God to these, the Old Covenant uh, people of God. And so Moses reminds them that you must listen to the Word of God. Now, if we can stop right there and make maybe one of the most important applications that I could make. And that is simply this. You, we, I must listen to the Word of God. There are a lot of voices speaking to us in this world right now. And I'm telling you what, if you're listening to them, you've got to be close to losing your mind. You need to listen to the voice 
of Almighty God. God has spoken. He's spoken clearly in and through and by His Son. And so, as God revealed Himself in establishing uh, these uh, uh, these uh, citizens of Egypt who participated uh, there in the, the Exodus, and they came to that great mountain we remember as Sinai called Horeb uh, here, and, and, and they were distressed as they, they saw the, the forbade, forbading reality of, of, uh, of God's presence on that mountain and said, uh, Moses, you, don't let God speak to us. You, you, you talk to us. You, 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 you talk to us. We, we can't handle we can't handle the weight of what God is saying uh, to us. And so, uh, again, God says they're right. My, my word would, would crush them. And so they are to listen to you, Moses, and then they're listen to, the listen, uh, to the one uh, that I will raise up. And he promises that there will be one there in verse 18. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded. Now, there were many faithful prophets, but there was only one perfectly faithful prophet. We'll see more as to why he was the perfectly faithful prophet. And so, again, they are to, to listen, and, and, and if they don't listen, what? They will be required to give an account. How many times have you heard me say, believer? or unbeliever. The church is both the best and the worst place for you to be. In that everything that is said that is consistent with the Word of God, you will be accountable. Believer or unbeliever. Okay? As an unbeliever, for your rejection of the, the great testimony of the saving grace of Almighty God, for the believer, the, the, the rejecting, the ignoring, the neglecting of the great transforming, conforming Word of God in your life. And so we must listen. And again, we must be aware that there will be those that make the claim, that make the claim of speaking for God, and they don't. And that's why we must be a discerning people. I encourage you. Do not ever accept anything just because I said it. Now, don't drive me crazy with emails either, okay? But, but, you need to make sure that what I'm saying is consistent with the Word of God, that I'm accountable to you and I'm accountable to God, okay, for what I say. And so, again, you are to listen, and, and I've, I've said this Dozens of times, the visible church, the visible church. Now, what do I mean? There is a true church, okay, that is invisible, but is the truly born-again, regenerate people of God, okay? And they're all over the place. They're in different kinds of churches and so forth, but they're all over the place. And then there's the visible church, which says, we're the church, and we do churchy things, Okay? And, and again, there, there's going to be a, a great testing. There's going to be a, a great challenge to these people. It's coming. I'll say more about that later. But, but the thing is that that visible, soft, superficial church, they are being prepped to believe the lie. 
They are being prepped. They, they, they are being handled right now by the spirit of Antichrist themselves to believe the ultimate and final lie. That's why you must know uh, the truth. And so here we see the test of the true prophet, that is, he speaks that which comes to pass, and certainly that is absolutely and ultimately true of, of Jesus Christ, and that there's a sense where certainly we want to disregard those that are presumptuous, that propose to speak. And again, there, there's so many different stripes of those characters, I'm not going to get into it. But the television airways are filled with them. The radio airwaves are filled with these guys that I would encourage you, I would admonish you, and I would warn you, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. They'll do great damage to your soul. And so, as we see this great promise, we're reminded that God organized this old covenant community, these descendants of Abraham that were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, ultimately delivered through the, the, the ministry of this prophet uh, Moses. God organized that nation around the priesthood, the king, and the prophet. And he established and revealed and defined and distinguished those offices all through his law. But what I want you to see, that reaching all the way back to Adam, these roles are present for the benefit of the people of God. Going all the way back to the garden. God's first word to Adam was to rule and subdue, to go out and fill the earth. He was given the word of God. He was given the charge to do what? Rule over the earth, to be, to be my vice-regent, to be my king in the world. And then he was given this charge for the garden found in Genesis 2.15. You are to tend and keep this garden. And, and that, that is the very language used to describe the work of the priesthood in the course of the tabernacle and the temple, that, that Adam was to honor God through his work and worship there within uh, that blessed garden. And so Adam received the Word of God. He was given two designations. And then there's a third. And we can see God spoke to him, get revealed his will. In other words, he was instructed for the sake of being an instructor. He was instructed for the sake of passing that truth along. And then he said, now, I've given you the garden, it's yours. I've given you every plant, it's yours to eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it. And so Adam's charge was to keep and communicate the Word of God. He had received it, he was to pass it along. In fact, there's language in the Bible that that's essentially the, the work of a, a rabbi to receive the Word of God, the traditions of God that were written in Scripture, and to pass them along accurately. That's what Adam was to do, was to receive and communicate through obedience, through, through nurture of the, the woman that God placed in his care, the very will of God, so we can see these roles were already present 
long before God gathered this multitude at the base of Sinai and, and, and wrote it all down. This is how you're, how you're to do it and how you're to organize uh, uh, this, this uh, nation. And so we find from, from Adam to Abel, the obedient son, through Seth and Enoch to Noah, the preacher of righteousness, to Abraham, who spoke the truth of the Word of God, to Joseph, who lived out the, the very um, um, foreshadowing events of the life and death of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, and delivered his brothers when he was raised from the dead in Egypt. Do you get the picture? And so forth it goes till God raises up Moses, calling him from the, the desert there at the uh, burning bush. And, and, and this long line of men that both were writing prophets such as uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the, the non-writing prophets, uh, Elijah and, and uh, uh, Enoch, all of these men, great men of God who spoke the Word of God, who called men and women to repentance. And so, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us what? That in the past, God revealed Himself. There's a number of ways He did, but He revealed Himself orally in, in the Word of the prophets, and now, ultimately, finally, perfectly, completely, He has revealed Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the ultimate referent of this passage in Deuteronomy. And like Moses, Matthew makes this big deal. In fact, one of the ways you can outline the Gospel of Matthew, if you have, want to trouble yourself to do this, is see how he sketches the life of Jesus to correspond with the life of Moses, the, the, the desert events, the mountain events, the proclamation of the truth from the mountain. All of these things are very intentional, and it is Matthew that reminds us, out of Egypt I have called my son. Because both Moses and Jesus were born in the day of an oppressive regime that placed the, the lives of these newborns in danger. And both parents sought to deliver uh, their child from certain death. Moses' parents by placing him in the, the ark, in the, the river. And Jesus' parents by escaping to Egypt from the murderous threats of King Herod. And so, there are a great many parallels. Jesus was called out of Egypt. He led the slaves out of captivity. More of that later. But he spoke the word of God. He, he preached the law. Now, we can see Moses at Sinai delivering these things. These people are trembling. And yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it, Moses. We'll, be, we'll do it. Just don't let him talk to us anymore. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. They lied. Okay, just so you know. Okay, they lied. But again, we're going to do it. Jesus said what now? I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it in, in every sense and to perform its demands and to suffer its penalty, to, to fully communicate the, the depth and the meaning of the law, the, the purpose of the law for, for all people. So Jesus preached the law and he preached grace. We don't think of Moses as a preacher of grace. 
But God revealed to Moses, I am the one and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. Now think about this just for a minute. You need to get this. Some of you struggle with this. But God is saying this. Every human being ever born since Adam deserves wrath. That is what they deserve. And it is rooted in me. It is not rooted in the character, in the performance of the sinner to deserve my mercy of grace. I will determine, I will decide who is ultimately the recipient of my grace and my mercy. Jesus preached this great word of God's grace. Jesus, in speaking to Nicodemus, again, that, that great gospel verse that he had come into the world and that he would die on that cross and whoever believed in him, they would escape the wrath of God. They would escape the penalty for their sin. And like Moses, one of the, one of the things when I read the book of, of Deuteronomy, I probably take too much not pleasure, but it doesn't. It just interests me. God just says, listen, you knuckleheads. And you are knuckleheads. Listen to me. Listen. It's all going to go well to, with you if you obey me. And if you don't, I'm either going to kill you or make you wish you were dead. That, that, that's the deal. And, 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 you know, of course, Jesus wouldn't say anything like that. Jesus, you know, meek and, meek, meek and mild Jesus. One of the things I'm, I'm really glad about that when, in 2000, when uh, they tweaked the Baptist faith and message, there was a clause in the first paragraph of the 1963 Baptist faith and message that said something along the lines that Jesus is the criteria by which all the scriptures should be interpreted. Which, the meaning was this, Jesus is the point of the Bible. That's what it meant. What it came to mean by a bunch of uppity liberals, well, Jesus wouldn't have condemned this, that, and the other. Fill in the blank. Jesus, would have done, Jesus was all about love. He would, have, he would have affirmed everything and everybody. Okay? Well, Jesus said this, don't fear those whose only power is to kill the body. You fear the one that can not only destroy your body, but he can cast your soul into the very depth of hell. That's not a real sweet, nice thing to say to people. But Jesus spoke the Word of God in the tradition of the prophets, beginning with Adam, extending all the way up and through John the Baptist. So, Jesus is this promised prophet, but he is our greater and perfect prophet. Now let's see, you, th you say, well, Tim, we know you. We know how you are. You know, the, the answer is always either sin or Jesus. Whatever the question is, you know, the answer is either sin or Jesus. But let's see how the New Testament writers interpreted this. Go to Acts chapter 3 for just a moment, if you will. Peter, preaching there in the precincts of the temple, having been filled with the Spirit at Pentecost, no longer was he the bumbling, who's going to be the greatest, I'll never deny you, you know, wash me head to toe. He was not that guy anymore. He got it. Peter got it. And as he, he preached uh, there, uh, there in, in Jerusalem, in that temple, uh, look there, uh, beginning... 
I'm going to start reading, I think, maybe in verse 17. But he indicts the Jews for their murder of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 17, he speaks of their ignorance and that this was to fulfill the word of the prophets. He, he calls them to repentance in uh, verse 19. And then skip down to verse 22. He's appealing to what we just read in Deuteronomy 18.15. Is Jesus the one that we have been looking for? Peter says, yes, indeed, he is. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And so he goes on and, and speaks of this. And in verse 26, he says what? God has raised up his servant. God has raised up the one that was being spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This Jesus is this ultimate and final prophet. He is a prophet that indeed is greater than Moses. He is greater because of his own being, his own essence, his own message is a, a, a complete message of how the, the law and the gospel of God's grace go together to, to, to save an individual. He's greater because of the, the works he did, of the words he spoke, of who he is. And indeed, he was a prophet whose own predictions came, tr came true. Look there under Roman numeral 2. He predicted his own death. And that wasn't just an aside. It wasn't one of those things he spoke in the corner. By the way, guys, you know, they're going to get me. No, over and over and over again, he says to the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. And the ones that hate me are going to get me. And they're going to crucify me. And I am going to be raised on the third day. It's one thing to predict your death. It is quite another to say, yeah, they're going to kill me, but that's not the final word. I will be raised from the dead. I have come, and no one is going to take my life from me. I am going to lay it down, and I, if I have the authority to lay it down, I have the authority to take it up again. That is the Jesus that we're speaking of here. He died not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. He laid down his life. Again, as a ransom for sin. Numbers 20 records this terrible incident where the great leader Moses, who, who is so esteemed and rightly so, but he must have been a Southern Baptist preacher because he got aggravated with his folks. You know? He got aggravated with his folks. And they were whining about not having any water. And God said, speak to the rock. And he was so ticked off, he hit it. Doesn't sound like much. I've, man, I'd hate for God to hold me to the same standard. Yeah. But God's Word, because of the great privilege, the great revelation that you've received, this, I'm going to have to hold you accountable, Moses. You're not going to get to enter in. You're going to lead, and you're going to bear with these people, and you're going to shepherd them. Last week, Moses was a shepherd. He's going to shepherd these people. But again, Jesus is the good shepherd. And so, Moses died because he sinned against God. Jesus died, but not because of his own sin. He willingly went to the cross for our sins, Moses included. He accomplished the greater exodus. Now, it is a big deal. I, I, I was mildly amused this morning as my oldest daughter packed up uh, 
17 tractor trailer loads to take her children uh, back to Louisville, Kentucky. She came for four days and uh, uh, brought everything, including the kitchen sink, I think. And so uh, many of you have been to my house, and uh, uh, they only needed oxygen, I think, four times uh, as they went up and down the stairs uh, to, our, to our house and uh, loaded up that, that car with, with all that they had brought. brought. And, and to make their exodus back to Louisville, Kentucky, it was a big deal. Well, it's a big deal for a million plus, probably three to five, maybe, maybe seven million. Who knows how many Jews Moses led out of Egypt. That's a great thing. That's a lot of trips up and down the stairs. But let me tell you about the, G, the exodus Jesus led. He transformed up, transferred us not from a physical kingdom ruled by a tyrannical but limited earthly ruler. He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and that kingdom of darkness is ruled over by the prince and the power of the air, the, the God of this age, the God of this world, Satan himself, and he is indeed powerful. And, and we loved him. We, loved, we, we, had a great, we, we were a part of his kingdom because that's where we wanted to be. And God, through his son Jesus Christ, gave us an exodus from that kingdom of darkness which actually affected us and changed us so we hated the kingdom of darkness and loved the kingdom of light. Those people that left Egypt, oh, I about said something ugly. They complained. They complained on the whole trip. Joe, did you know what I was going to say? <laughs> I'm sorry. They complained the whole time. They barely ate. They mourned. They murmured. Because we left by, oh, well, there weren't enough graves in, Moses, in Egypt, Moses. We had all the good stuff to eat there. We're eating crackers. But Jesus Christ led a greater, more permanent, more people on an exodus that actually transformed their affection. See, the problem with that wilderness generation is they couldn't leave Egypt. Oh, they walked out, but they couldn't leave Egypt. And when Jesus affects our great exodus, oh, we begin to look forward. We begin to look forward to the new Jerusalem. We begin to hate. We begin to hate the Egypt of this world. So, he accomplished a greater exodus. And he received and delivered a more complete testimony of God. God. John describes him as, again, the Word made flesh. The one that was with God from the very beginning. He was full of, of grace and truth. And so, Paul describes Moses and his various encounters with God. And because of the radiance of God scorching the face of Moses, he, he, would, he would radiate, he would shine, and, and it would scare the people so badly. They put a veil on Moses, that's just, that's just awesome. But think back, you remember the, the Sermon on the Transfiguration? The glory that people saw and heard in Jesus Christ was intrinsic. It radiated not from someone else to him and off of him, it radiated out of him. He was glorious inside and outside. And so he received this greater and more perfect testimony because 
He is the incarnate Son, the incarnate Word of God. And it is Jesus and Jesus alone to whom Peter could rightfully say, you have because you are the Word of eternal life. You are the one. Where else are we going to go? And I, I truly believe that those that call themselves Christians in America, we have believed in everything. The government, our education, our job, our doctor, you name it. We've embraced it. And this moment is for this, is that we would understand that our only hope in this life and for the next is Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, the living Word. He is and He has the words that are eternal life. He is not the servant as described in, in Hebrews chapter 3. Moses was great. He established a great house, but he was a servant. Jesus is the Son. He is greater. And again, why? He is the Word incarnate. You know, there's an old saying, Heath, Somerville deal, you know. Your, your, your reach exceeds your grasp. That, that may not be exclusively a Somerville deal. But, but sometimes what I say is beyond what I live because I'm a fallen, sinful human being. My, my, my reach is beyond what I can grab and hold on to. Not with Jesus. His very being and His very performance was exactly consistent with the perfect Word that He spoke. He was greater than Moses. He was the perfect prophet. Well, let's look finally, number three. Jesus is not only the promised, He's not only the one who, who came and, and He was here on earth, but He is the returning prophet who will perfect all things. That's good stuff. Y'all can actually smile. It'll be okay. It won't scare me off of here. It, it won't blow me off this pulpit, okay? I, I'm, I've got, I got hope. I got hope here. Yeah. His, think about it for a minute. His Word inaugurates and completes the created order. Let there be light. Behold, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things perfect. The old order of things is gone and I'm going to wipe away every tear. And let me tell you something, folks. In this life, you cry. Trust me, you cry. They're, they're te they're, again, those tears have a purpose. They're not wasted, but He will wipe away every tear. And so it's by His Word that all things are saved. By His Word, He guides the church, I, I kind of just cite the, the letters to the churches that, that he admonishes and corrects the churches. He forms and creates the church. He sustains the, word, the church by his word. Now let me say this, and I don't, I'm not trying to get political. But we're going to be faced, it looks like, soon. Are we going to believe the word of God? Are we going to obey the word of God? Are we going to trust him? with every providence of our life, are we going to cave in to an out-of-control culture and its government? Now, it's coming. I don't know if it's coming in my lifetime or your lifetime, but that's the trajectory. Again, Schaefer saw it in 1976. He's been dead nearly 40 years. And by the way, 
You can go to your streaming Netflix or Amazon, I think it's Netflix, you can see the video, How Shall We Live Then, by, with Francis Schaeffer in it, if you have an interest, or by the book. But his word guides his church. And so we are, again, to know his word and determine it is going to be the final. It is the ultimate. It will govern our, line, our lives. His word will destroy his enemies. That's what we see when the rider appears on the white horse out of the heavens one day. He will destroy those who have stayed in opposition with the sharp sword of his mouth. He will destroy his enemies and he will deliver his own. I've been intrigued in Revelation chapter 18 verse 4 as it describes Babylon which seems to be symbolic of the entirety of the world and its system and its order. And he says, my people come out. I say to you today, to the people of God, come out, come out, look to your Savior, listen to your Savior. He is the word of eternal life. We must listen to Him. Moses said it 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. You must listen to Him. His word, He will deliver us from the wrath to come. That doesn't mean life may not get tough. That may not mean that you might not get killed for your faith. Thousands have gone before us who have died for their faith. But He has promised and He has delivered us from the wrath to come. And His Word will raise the dead. We use this too often at funerals, but I, I love 1 Thessalonians 4.16. I love it. He's going to appear in the heavens. There's going to be loud commands and I don't know if he'll call us all by name like he did Lazarus. Lazarus, get out of that cave. You're alive. No dead man should be in a cave. And so if we die and our whatever being is with the Lord and we return, he'll speak and the grave will give us up. His word of command will inaugurate the new order, the ultimate order, the perfect order. He will deliver us. And so, the question then, in view of all things, maybe it's kind of at this bigger level, we look at our country and we're concerned. Maybe you look at a personal level. Uh, my extended family is so large, it seems like there's always someone at loss. One aunt dying recently, one cousin in the Alzheimer's care unit of a nursing home. It goes on and on and on and on. How do you celebrate? How do you rejoice? How do you live with joy in days that wherever you want to stack it, they're difficult? It's by looking to the Alpha and the Omega. It is looking to the author and the perfecter of our faith. It is looking to this prophet that God has said would come and he has come and he has spoken and he has acted and he has done all that is necessary for our salvation. And so it seems appropriate. How shall we celebrate now? I would say this from Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And then the writer goes on to say, For here we have no lasting city. Get that. 
Everything here is an illusion. It's all vanity. We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Folks, we not only seek that city, we seek the king who rules that city in perfection. And so, through him, then let us continually, 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 you can just sing that as you go out today, continually, continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. What is His name? His name represents everything and all He is and all that He has done. The name that is above every name, the name given among men by which we all must be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You that we can celebrate now. We have a reason to celebrate now. We must Lord, the rocks are not going to need to cry out. We want to cry out your name. We thank you for the privilege that is ours. And indeed, it is a privilege. Uh, Lord, we love you. And Lord, as we look around, and Lord, we can be rather despairing at times because we look at these things which we see and know. But Lord, help us to see that which is unseen but yet is more real than anything we could see. Lord, bless us this day. May we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.